This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Welcome to the Rerooted Podcast with Francesca Maxime, trauma-sensitive mindfulness meditation teacher and poet. Together, we'll take a closer look at approaches to transforming trauma with insights from psychology, neuroscience, spirituality, social justice, and the creative arts. Join Francesca and her guests for an exploration of our shared connection and how we can cultivate greater compassion for ourselves and for others. If you'd like to support Francesca and the Rerooted Podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Francesca. For the first half of my conversation with Tata, please listen to episode 15 of Rerooted. There's no one person pulling the lever, pulling the strings behind it. There is no one. Everybody's possessed in a way. We're essentially all possessed by the we're matrix. All the same soup, you know, and, and, and we're all in the same, you know, different, um, as one of my other mindfulness teachers, uh, Gina Sharp says, you know, bag of skin, you know, we're, but, but we're all in the same soup. And, you know, what the difference that I hear you saying is, you know, we try to move away from things like good or bad, right or wrong, better or worse, um, into, you know, the language of mindfulness, which is, you know, skillful and unskillful, like the Buddha was teaching, like helpful or not helpful. Right. You know? Um, and so, the wisdom in that, which is all about what the insight, you know, tradition is, is trying to reclaim the wisdom. The wisdom is the knowing itself, the equanimity, the balance, the way that, you know, it is when it's processing, right? We're in this process of becoming, becoming, becoming. We're not like becoming something, right? We're always like, you know, dying and, you know, being born and dying like all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Collectively, individually, somatically, you know, whatever, cellularly, whatever it is. And that the rupture is the system that tries to impose something other than that emergence. Yes. And the healing comes from your um, intentional setting of the compass of the awareness of that system, uh, you know, existing and, and, and sort of being a part of, a part of within, if you will, to use, you know, imperialist language that English okay. is. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then being able to sort of drop into the place where, okay, given all of that, as again, Reverend Angel Kira Williams says, none of us are free until we're all free, meaning that we're in this as a collective. We're in this, like, your oppression is my oppression. My oppression is your oppression. Or the oppression is affecting us all, I guess is a better way to say it. 
into the framework that we're talking about. And even Carol Gilligan in the, in the interview that I did with her, she talks about patriarchy. Why does patriarchy exist or persist? Um, that's her new book. Um, with one of her students, and she was talking about it as a defense against loss, a pre-defense against loss, hmm. right? So this Newtonian world, or this social security number world that Jack Cornfield, my mentor, you know, likes to talk about, is more along the lines of, I'm afraid to be hurt. I don't want to be vulnerable. Being intimate scares me, which is what? A trauma response. Yeah, trauma is like very Newtonian. <laughs> like, it's used the word, and Newtonian matters because we live in it, right? And right. essentially, yeah, like, the work of, I think, Healing Justice, though, is about understanding the relationship, you know, like, um, between, like, that Newtonian and quantum world and making sense of their connection and how they relate to each other, you know, like, um, and that's why embodied practice is so important, relational practice is important. When we, because in relationship, we, you know, when we do relational embodied practice, we get to experience how the quantum shifts affect the Newtonian world. Yeah. So give me an example of a relational embodied practice when we're not just spiritually bypassing into the quantum world, which some people... Right. Well, um, I, I think, you know, like there's like a simple... I mean, the simplest example is like sitting across from somebody and just holding them in some kind of... Um, you know, unconditional positive regard and noticing the changes in your body, right? That's like, so there's like a quantum shift that's happening that's perception based, but then there's something Newtonian that shows up in the physiology, right? And, and the same that can be applied to, um, you know, social justice work is, you know, a lot of the changes that need to happen are mechanical changes in the system. But underneath that, we need, um, we need something a lot more subtle yeah. to drive that. It's a subtle that drives the dense. That's like one of the principles of that, right? Yeah. So like the way I would say this again is um, when I'm working with clients as a somatic experiencing practitioner, it's sort of like the more regulated and sort of ability to, for me to just be present in my body and aware of what's going on in my body and to behold, share, connect, witness, have there be no barrier, if you will, between the space that we're in at that moment is part of what's healing in this relational um, embodied way. Yeah. I feel uh, that. Yeah. And, and it, when you talk, when you kind of graduate that to like a cultural somatic kind of understanding and watching the effects, like, for example, like, um, it's kind of how Western society talks about movements, you know, like, for example, like you might say like the, you know, black civil rights movement, there's these leaders and they did the work. That's like the white Western narrative is like, there's these people that were leaders of organizations. They rounded up people and made this huge change. That's like the narrative that's sold, right? That's, that's the story of black liberation according to the history channel or whatever, right? How we understand it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm a dancer, um, you know, I'm a street dancer. Uh, so yeah, you're great. Like, People got to go to your Instagram page. And check it out. <laughs> no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> no, they can, they can. Yeah, yeah, they can. But you know, like, uh, you know, a lot of my like, um, uh, social justice kind of orientation came from, uh, studying in those street dances, um, starting about 10, 15 years ago. So I started pretty late in my life. Um, I'm 41 now. And so it was in my thirties or late twenties that I started exploring that. But so what people don't get 
I mean, that's what I mean, the subtle forms, the dense, is that like, okay, so when you're talking about the civil rights movement, our narrative often focuses on, on often even, let's say, like, even name that, like, men, even, like, powerful men in leadership positions. Not all exclusively, but that's kind of where, you know, that's kind of where it centers. And not saying those people aren't heroic and important, and, you know, including, like, the the trans and uh, folks and the women, you know, who are also show leadership, you know, all those people being really f- important, not taking anything away from that. But what you start to see and understand is that like the, the when you're talking about bottom up approach, right. And you do in, uh, in somatic therapeutic work, you notice like what supports these movements is actually like parties, gatherings. Like, yeah like soul train, <laughs> you know, like really actually, like, right. or I guess soul train is like post civil rights era, but you know what I mean? Like the, like, especially as a dancer, it's like the gathering of bodies of color, nonverbal communication, the spread of nonverbal language across the Americas um, through, um, you know, an ancestral lineage being kept because of, um, you know, maintaining African uh, Afro diasporic rhythms, movement styles, you know, like, and language alive and culture, like that's actually, when you actually look at what's happening underneath is that. And we, what we tend to remember is, is like these great acts that were, you know, undoubtedly uh, amazing things. And, you know, people died because of these things, you know, like really important, but underneath that also what sustains it is like, you know, because there's a culture of genius that's so such a part of our white patriarchy that supports like this narrative, one heroic individual. Really, th- this person's an expression of this emergent phenomena that's been happening at a cultural somatic level all the way through. And that's what I mean in a cultural somatic approach to you know moving from the subtle to the dense. So I think a cultural somatic approach will look at like, okay, the great, like the hero will emerge. The hero will emerge as long as you don't stop partying. This is like the idea. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I love that too because, um, you know, again, that part of the whole fulcrum here is joy, is connection, is music, is dance, is all of the things that are um, nourishing, generative, life-enhancing, connective. You know, I think it's sort of what, uh, to go back to the Buddha's language, you know, sangha, right? You know, spiritual friends, Kalyanamita, you know, whatever, that you're, you're not in isolation. There's a whole fabric. Everyone's, you know, this, this thread, this current is, is as you keep on saying, sort of operating, you know, undulating, you know, and eventually, you know, the thing, you know, gets kind of pushed, pushed out, up, right? Yeah. Yeah, And that's what I mean. Like the, there's roots underneath, right? Like a network. Yes. And that's, and, and, and the cultural somatic approach would be like to, understand that and actively cultivated that within an organism so this is like as opposed to inclusivity and accessibility through token right we're not just doing the barbecue because we have to like have a barbecue we're doing the barbecue because we recognize and we have an awareness over the fact that this is an integral part of our overall connectivity exactly healing yeah exactly and there's something there's something about you know like you know, like like the way that a lot of organizations approach inclusivity and accessibility is like kind of like grafting things to places that have no nutrients. So there's like no network underneath. So just like 
you can't you can't just like plant something where there's nothing been happening. <laughs> I love how you just you said just don't that. Do that. Grafting things to places where there are new nutrients. Exactly. Like I was recently introduced to a program that was meant to reduce gun violence in um, a Brooklyn community, um, in communities of of color and um, youth violence, and and in in it was like the wrong fit. The people who were doing it were um, there was not a person of color there. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The program. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. And they had good intentions and a lot of money, but I was like, I don't really know if this is you're grafting it to the place where there's nutrients. Like there's a misfit here, you know? A misfit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is again, like the kind of like boneheaded, like thing about white supremacy culture is that I think, you know, this is like where I think I get really hot again is like where um, white people, white healing, white help needs to recognize is that like, you know, when you look at, you know, especially poor black and brown communities across the Americas, as well as, you know, like including, you know, as well, yeah, as like indigenous communities as well. Like, it's like, people have been doing this shit forever. Like if you want to talk about reducing youth gun violence, black and brown youth, you know, you know, within black and brown communities, right? Like black and brown youth have been working on that for ages. Like this is, I think this is like the kind of like misnomer, misthought, like, um, you know, for example, um, I think a really useful example is like uh, crumping. So, you know, crumping is like a dance from, I think, the West Coast. Um, you know, it takes after like shamanism and, you know, there's that like, group ritual and stuff, you know, when you actually look at the dance itself. And um, there's a social, social structure baked into crumping, right? Like, um, like if you are if you are an elder, which means you might be like 25. Yeah. Right? Because this is, you're talking about family, you know, cultures where the adults have been incarcerated because of the crack. Like this is the war on drugs is the aftermath of that, right? So you have like a person who's like, I, I don't know, I'm going to make up a name like, um, like the elder's name might be like, you know, ghosty or something that's their name and so their disciples might take after their name and be a little ghosty right and what i understand about crump is that it replaces a family structure that's been decimated by the war on drugs so and, and the crack era so you'd have like that person who's the elder who, who's really a young black youth is responsible it's other young black youth to go to school graduate it's not just like a dance mentor it's like a life thing and that and so and crump groups are called houses right the house of da 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 so you actually see that there's all these generative social structures so it's like it's totally to me ridiculous the idea that a white organization realizing there's this problematic thing that's happening in these communities and go in there with money and da 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 it's a waste of resources it's really all about like in the end attending to their own stuff when there's actually already it's like there's already regrowth regeneration happening within these communities they've been doing it forever that's the only way they've survived that's like all communities of color across the board you know? like indigenous black and brown like asian um pacific islander um, you know latinx like all across the board that's what people have been doing for generations and so there's a lot of cultural goods cultural somatic work coming out of that and again it's like the kind of like even with healing is like, no, like it's, it's, we have to reorient. It's like these like young, 
you know, like poor people of color are actually like leaders. <laughs> it's like totally opposite. It's like, you know, maybe they don't understand trauma. Maybe they don't have the language. Maybe they're working through things. Of course they need assistance. But by and large, with the, you know, like a lot of the, I would tell you, like a lot of, you know, as a dance movement person, like, you know, I train, have some training, expressive arts and dance movement therapy. A lot of the stuff that like we do in like dance movement therapy class, like we do in street dancing definitely like we do movement exercises and, and expansion exercises and stuff that's like what that they do all the time yeah. so like even just <laughs> it's like it's like it's kind of like a banana's idea to me that like we ignore the reality of these things happening on the ground and i think a lot of you know again inclusivity and accessibility is like has to start with some kind of humility and say like wait it's no like it's it's not it's not about like create like the creating the space for people of color to receive the gifts of white peoples, right. which is really just like resources of their own culture through like a white lens, because yeah. I don't care if it's called somatic experiencing, it's still mindfulness practice that comes right. from degrees of color. Right. Like it, it doesn't like the neurological framing isn't right. like how we experience the mediums, right? Like we don't experience these dance mediums, for example, as like, the neurological and scientific background is important and the structure is important, but there's also like ritual and somatic traditions that these come out of that are totally still alive, are recoverable. And a lot of people of color actually already understand them. They come in with like, at least um, like a, a broader understanding of those things. Like it's already baked into their culture, even if they don't like practice it. Like you, you know, like, they are practicing it because they're living it. It's not a, and it's not like it's already, um, it's already woven in. It's already there. It's already woven it in. Never yeah, went but... anywhere. It was already always necessary and a part of everything, you know. So, it didn't have yeah. to be removed in order to be reimported because it, it has always been part of what's kept the train going. Yeah, like you don't have to explain to a lot of black folks about vagal toning, because that spinal wave that you know, like undulates and modulates the vagus nerve is a part of like black diasporic dance. It's like everywhere. It's everywhere. <laughs> like it's in the lifestyle itself. And, and that's not the language that might be used, but it, that, that, that shape is everywhere. That's exists in martial arts too. It's like, you don't. So I think there's something about reckoning with that, you know, reality. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. and, and, and I love that. And we're going to need to start to wind down, but I do think that that piece about, um, you know, I, a lot of people talk about evidence-based practice and they want things to be, you know, measurable. And how do you measure the quality of, of, of something in a quantitative way that is um, more intuitive or that is more um, meant about something that is, that is unseen, if you will, unseen, mm -hmm. depending on what eyes you're using to see. And I say eyes loosely, right? I mean, it's a metaphor actually more than anything. Um, as opposed to what your direct experience is, which is always, of course, that invitation in, in Vipassana practice and, and is what is your direct experience around this in your body, in your soma? What are you noticing? And how does it shift when you're in community and with these practices? And, um, and you just mentioned ritual and crumping and all of that. You know, I, I really think that that is the fundamental piece that a lot of communities especially as Ruth King says, you know, when we're not, she's the Dharma teacher who wrote Mindful of Race, um, not 
the inability or the unawareness around like let's naming claiming whiteness as a race as opposed to just like as the water that we're in you know mm-hmm. um that that as we can begin to shift into this place of like in ri- we need ritual and in the white awake work for example you go back and even if you're of european descent and have white skin or light skin privilege you're looking at what were those rituals right mm-hmm. um as opposed to just appropriating. And so that humility around that, I think, is, is really beautiful and important. Mm-hmm. And the wisdom is there. The sure. Wisdom. It's really hard to find, but yeah. <laughs> I'll be real. In the, communities, yeah. in the communities you're talking about that are crumping and stuff, the wisdom is yeah, there. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's not named with evidence-based practice research studies necessarily, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I, me- I, think I meant towards more like for white folks um, doing ancestral healing work and trying to recover these ritual practices is a lot harder, frankly. Like, it is actually a lot. Like, um, and, you know, we're wanting this down, but I think maybe it's helpful because, you know, I'm yeah. thinking, you know, you said, like, there may be mostly a white audience for this, so it might be interesting for white folks. Well, I'm to- making that assumption, but... Okay. Sorry, 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 world. <laughs> I, 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 I said that. I'll own that. That was my... Okay, okay, opinion. okay. Possibly. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me based on like my experience, right? I think there's something about um, going at like, yeah, and, and also regarding like, of course, like crumping or popping and house dance, they're not like, they're not the pure ancestral authentic form. Or anything. They're they're the forms for this generation, but it they're also not dissociated from the reality of struggle and requirement of resilience. So that what makes them authentic in this place now. And I think what happens in white culture is that, frankly, that you know it's understandable people want that to be the water, as opposed to like an actual race, because that resiliency by and large doesn't exist within white culture. That's been like deleted. Um, so there's a long history of that. Like, you know, when you look at like European culture, which is the ancestral culture of white culture, it's pretty void of somatics for a long time. Like anything that is earthy, anything that is rooted um, embodiment wise has been deleted for at least 600 years or something like that. Um, you know, like for example, I was talking to, um, there's a, a man named Michael Newton, who's a scholar on uh, Gale culture, so um, Highland culture, and you know he talks about uh, you know what people think of Scottish Highland dancing, and you know how you know a lot of folks practice Highland dance as a kind of like return to authenticity, right? The reality, as you said, like what we know as Highland dancing is so impacted by the taste of the French court, so ballet is like. Has so much has so much influence over the posture of Highland dancing. We don't even know what Highland dancing looks like, like what it was meant to look like from like the perspective of an indigenous Highland culture. There's absolutely no record. There's no way we can only, and it's, that's it's interesting to realize that like there's no semblance. It's this kind of like really um, aristocratic embodiment style has been disseminated all across Europe, right? And that's the legacy that a lot of white folks live in. That's, that's, so that even when we try to go back uh, for a lot of white folks, there's nothing there. It's like, it's so far removed that, and so it's obvious that 
when you're coming from that place and have such poor cultural attachment base, we need to, I mean, when that happens, you know, like I did that, like I, I went to wards like hip hop and culture to reintegrate myself. Like you need another place where there's embodiment and resilience still somewhat intact or like actually well intact even. And that's why a lot of people get pulled into cultures of color uh, who are white because, you know, I call it ancestral echoing. It's, it's, I don't think it's because people think, or maybe on some level they wish they were somebody else or something like that. But really what's happening is the desire to go back to the cultures that they came from or understand them. There's a it's cultural attachment, like craving that's trying to be fulfilled. And, and the Western therapeutic traditions are essentially representations of that craving and needing to go back to some kind of um, resource where ritual and embodiment, all that stuff made sense. And then that not existing within white culture, right? So needing to get to mindful practice, Afro-diasporic dance, like clown, like indigenous clowning, there's all, all kinds of stuff that is being resourced, right? And that's kind of, you know, the reality and one of the things, you know, that's interesting that comes out of that is like, you know, um, when we're on the topic of Highland dance, it's kind of like a tangent almost, but interesting things happen. There's a style called uh, buck dancing. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's in the Appalachians. And what it is, it's a mixture, right? This is fascinating. It's a mixture of, of um, there's a lot of black folks in Appalachia, right? And so the people of, the Appalachia are like, are actually kind of like you describe yourself, like mixed actually, right? And so often some of them look white, but they're not actually purely white. I mean, you know, very few people are, but you know, that's a longer story. But yeah, they're like a mixture of like a, a different peoples actually. And there's a style of dance called buck dancing that comes from there. And buck dancing is a combination of Afro-diasporic dance and Highland dancing. And it looks totally different. The feeling looks more down so there's like a there's like a thud as opposed to like this up up energy mm. and it's a study and it has a more afro tone and it's interesting because you know what you call like an ancestral echo is happening possibly is that when you actually look at buck dancing it might be more like what highland dance used to look like sure but it had to go through like an Afro frame to land back where it actually may have came from. We ne never know, but you might imagine that like, like you had this Highland dancing thing in, or jigging or, you know, like just more like, you know, kind of like, you know, Scottish, Irish type of dancing that needed to actually mix with Afro culture to reclaim something, how it might look like. And yeah. so I think, and in terms of the psychotherapeutic world, I think that's kind of where we are. Like it, there's been a process and now for things to really be alive in this next stage for you know, a lot of these um, healing traditions that have been stewarded in white spaces, there needs to be a lot more mixing. There needs to be a lot more opening up and there needs to be you know, like a recognition um, that, you know, wisdom held, you know, away from the center of whiteness. And like that can, that has a chance. Yeah. Like, that has a, that has a, that has a chance of doing something. So I think that's kind of like where we are. Beautiful. So 
yeah sure that is a yeah fun. no i think that that's a rich rich way to end and i and i really really appreciate that and and um you know i just want to name you know a couple things that we've used terms um in this conversation that some people might not be familiar with and i would invite them to google them or use whatever search engine you might like um if it's something like sis or turtle island or crumping or any of that <laughs> I would, yeah. I would invite you to just, you know, maybe take a moment um, if you've already spent this much time with us and, um, and then just kind of, you know, explore and see what happens because you might then sort of get a bigger, richer feel for um, some of the things that we're talking about. And um, I just want to also invite to before we leave, can you just share your website? Um, I love the name. It's called The Selfish Activist. Tell me where that came from, if you can. And, um, a little bit and, and, and tell people how they can find you. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can find me at selfishactivist.com. Uh, the name kind of originated from it being an oxymoron or a paradox, right? Of, um, you know, in, in Japanese somatics, there's a, there's a place called Hara. You might know it, uh, you know, or the lower Dantian. Um, you know, it's in the belly, abdomen, pelvis. It's considered the true seat of your being. So you are not your heart. You are not your mind. You are your hara, mostly, like 90% or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're finding out that now that's like a neural network and the anchor of the parasympathetic nervous system. Who knew, right? Um, but uh, Sahara is a place of self. And it's actually intensely selfish. It's about your desires. It's about what you want to eat, you know, like, about sex like you know all the things that is just like really about your selfish desires and one of the paradoxes that comes up in um in japanese somatics and practices like aikido is that like being rooted in your desire it actually puts you in harmony with other beings like being rooted well in your desire and your selfishness actually puts you in good relationship with other beings and so is it kind of like a a punkish kind of oxymoronic statement about um, how um, there's these two things that are considered separate. Because a lot of activist people like suffer burnout and stuff. Right? Yeah. And also a lot of it's about like giving something up yourself and self-sacrifice. And I'm kind of like, it's not really like that. There's like a whole different thing. So the word selfish activist to me like reflects that relationship to Hara and it's really part of like my cultural identity too it's kind of just like slipped in there yeah yeah, that's kind of where it came from and also like I had to shout out to um there's a friend of mine uh who I wasn't friends with them then uh their name is Emily Wapnick and they had this uh TED talk about multi-potentialites I don't don't know if you know it's like it's like what you know multi-potentialites somebody has a lot of different interests in life and they had a book called, um, I forgot. There's a book about how to name your business. And it was about like picking like words that had like this like kind of contradictory flair or something. And so I did their exercise and that's kind of how it came together too. So that's uh, the story. So shout out to Emily. They're a friend of mine now. Um, great. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. like that. The selfish activists and, and getting in touch with our inner wisdom. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that because your true hara is your wisdom place, right? I would think. And, um, you know, I, I saw a little thing that said, don't mistake your, your gut instinct for your trauma. 
<laughs> right, <laughs> don't mistake right. your trauma for your gut instinct. Like, right? Like we want right. to get with what our real true desire is, which is separate yeah. from like this craving or clinging or wanting more, 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 the insatiable piece of, of things, mm-hmm. which is more like the ambivalent attachment you talk about. And really get back to like, hey, this is what my seat is in the midst of it all, my unique presencing in this Newtonian, you know, quantum world and however way I manifest or we manifest. And um, yeah, and I got to get in touch with that. And then if we each do that, I I guess in theory, we'll be more harmonious as a collective. And the work of cultural somatics um, is kind of a little bit of a map on how we get there, one of them anyway. Yeah, Yeah, it's definitely a map. And and, uh... Yeah, and in, in my own practice, particularly because I have, you know, Asian somatic kind of ancestral lineage thing. It's most of it, yeah. Most of it's in Hara, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. It, yeah, most of that. Mostly, it's that. <laughs> that's almost. That's almost everything. Well. It's, it's a good place to be. We're going to leave it there and um, invite people to check out Selfish Activists. And um, thank you so much for, for being with us and um, sharing your wisdom and your embodiment on Rebooted. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Take blessings. good care. Yeah. Yes, blessings. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.